0: Brick Moon Fiction Presents Sister Mine by Eric Del Carlo Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle My split was the first person I saw as we lurched, delirious and road-sore, into the old ancestral home. My split didn't see me, though, wouldn't turn from her kitchen tasks as Jimmy followed me, dropping a bag of our stuff in the hallway at the bottom of the banister I used to manage to slide down when I was four. Our lives had cratered again, And Jimmy and I needed shelter from the storm, and my split, Jenny, was fiercely aware of us being here, but refused to look, to greet us, to do anything that would acknowledge us and thus give tangibility to our presence. I didn't expect any better. I hadn't even let myself hope that Dad would be the first one I'd see when we finally blundered in after an ordeal of eviction, frantically packing up the car and driving halfway across the continent. But Jenny was going to have to be dealt with and I was going to have to deal with her. Jimmy was my husband of 13 years, a willowy and emotionally accessible person, and he'd only married into this. Who's pitching tonight? I asked, my crud-damp shirt sticking to my back. Every joint I had throbbed to its own smarting tempo. The Cubs were home, at their new ballpark that the generationally hardcore fans were still refusing to go to. Jenny squeezed out something at the sink. McAfee. She used just enough breath to say the name, nothing more. Still not looking at us. Slow footsteps were creaking the stairs on their way down. Dad said something. Good to hear that raspy voice. And Jimmy answered in his sincere, happy way. He'd always loved my father. But I stayed facing Jenny. I was in the kitchen. In her kitchen. Even though she didn't actually live here. She had a cottage apartment a block down the street. She'd been checking in on Dad daily for the four years since Mom had died. Finally, my just being there, occupying space, was enough for her, or too much, really. My split turned and blazed those mirror-familiar eyes coldly at me. Her mouth was my mouth, tightened to a hard stripe. You can't live here. I was brain-fried, crotch-kicked, exhausted. That didn't matter to this being who had come from me. We're not going to live here. We're staying here for a bit. She was the guardian, the keeper of the castle. I asked dad after mom passed, do you want someone to move in with you? I'd prefer not, he said after some thought. It was like she was reading the transcript to me. Behind, dad and Jimmy were exchanging warm words. I so wanted to turn to see him. It had been over a year, though we'd telepressed several times a month all that while. I couldn't argue with Jenny. I didn't have the position, the leverage. She'd loaned us money in the past because she wasn't a fuck-up. Because she had maintained a financial stability with a bland pixelwork telecommute job she'd done day after day all her life. So about all I could say was, contritely, we won't get in the way. I finally turned around to see Dad, and he greeted me with a gentle bear-like embrace. And I managed not to cry. Jimmy wasn't made of such stern stuff, or really, he was just invested with human emotions. He started weeping when we went to unload the car in the overgrown driveway. He'd overheard Jenny, felt the vibe. It was hard to miss. I went around the car. The nearest working streetlight showed me how cloudy the car's shoulders had gotten. I gripped Jimmy's jerking, bony shoulders. He raised streaming eyes and hiccuped, I've never felt so unwelcome. We'd had creditors on us, people professional about their harassment, but it was my split here at the house I'd grown up in that had finally done in Jimmy. I dotted his forehead with my lips, and I thought, seriously, about killing that cunt. But what I said, as gently as I could say it, was the truth. There's nothing we can do. His eyes glimmered, and my heart just about broke. She's so... not you... She's a different me, is all. That was how the lab guys explained it to me when I'd had the split done almost 20 years ago. Why? Why'd you do it, Jenny? Not the first time he'd asked me. I looked inside our abused, overloaded car. I didn't want to leave our stuff parked out overnight. It was all we had. I told my husband, it seemed like a good idea at the time. We resumed the unloading expending our last fizzles of strength. I was looking at Jimmy when he suddenly froze in an awkward pose. What's wrong? I asked sharply, thinking heart attack. He struggled a breath into his lungs and said, I just tweaked my back. He stayed in that half stoop. I went to him again, kissed him again, and said, Go in. Go and sit down. Sit with Dad. Stay with him till I come in. Jimmy hobbled away grunting every step. I faced the rest of the carload. Jenny didn't come out to help. I'd got four years plus of good work in, at a time when the market was hot for what I liked to do, and, I still believe, do best. Zombie apocalypses, environmental holocausts, bug-eyed invasions. But what I was still getting royalties for was the fractional percentile I had of chaos schmaos, a, at the time, goofy old-school flash game on which I did some spot welding on the GUI for some ex-classmates. One out of every five gamers on four continents has played the thing, and every few years it just keeps coming back into vogue. In my heyday, that had annoyed me. Now I waited on every royalty credit. Love of gaming started here, in this house. So did love of game designing. I had dad to thank for that. And I had thanked him, explicitly, on numerous occasions. You don't get a jumpstart on your life's ambition without somebody encouraging you or providing some sort of example during your formative years. Dad loved the game. Dad wanted to be a designer, but he'd never caught up to fleeting opportunities. He'd had the enthusiasm, the aspiration, the dream. but Not the education, nor anything more, really, than an amateur's passion. It wasn't enough. Dad looked old in a way that pressing the last couple years hadn't quite revealed. He was old, and I was barreling down on or already in middle age. But he was glad to see us, both of us. He wasn't the problem. Mom, more than Dad, had kept the house running on a day-to-day basis. Not the happiest of homes, the way I remembered. Dad's disappointment in himself, Mom's not-unconnected frustrations, my hell-raising teenhood. Still, there had been breathing room in the house. Spontaneity, or at least the possibility of it. Convincing moments of familial camaraderie. Some good memories. Memories weren't helping now. Jenny had the house wound like an old-time gear-filled clock. Everything was done a certain way. Everything happened at a specific time. Because this is how Mom used to do it. I wasn't even asking her why. I knew better. It was an old house, teetering on the brink of being a dump even, but it fit the neighborhood, which was also run down in a lazy sort of way. The decay was passive, not deliberate, just age and mild neglect taking their toll. Dad was on a pension from a union job he'd hated for years and years. Jenny, his daughter's split, who was there by a daughter herself, came by every day to cook, to clean, to keep him company, It should have been a sweet, easygoing setup for a declining retiree. It was otherwise. Jenny came in at ten every morning, striding through the house, snapping off lights, raising window shades, arranging things on the kitchen counters in a tourist manner that said this item belongs here, not there. She made Dad his French toast or his sugared porridge. She swept the grubby plastile floors, ran the ancient dishwasher, did the laundry, did the shopping with the house money, paid the bills online the same way. Me and Jimmy helped, or me and Jimmy tried to help. Two things,' Jenny said. It was always two things. "'The pink bowl is Dad's salad bowl. It's the only thing he'll eat salad out of, and he needs greens. So don't use it for soup at dinnertime. Second thing, I saw a napkin in the waste can. That's bio paper, and it goes in the Recyc. For snickety and painstakingly thought out. Those were the house rules. They weren't arbitrary, and they didn't change. They were even sensible.' in that they served their purposes, but every law of the land was enforced with tight-assed precision. Jimmy loaded the dishwasher, and Jenny swooped in behind him and rearranged every plate and piece of cookware for maximum cleaning efficiency. I used the house streamer to watch the Cubs grind out an interleague win over the Spiders in a day game. Jenny later informed me that Dad didn't like to hear broadcast media in the house before 5 p.m., Dad hates Cleveland. He was glad we won, was all the argument I gave her. My hard-lipped, narrow-eyed mirror stared silently back at me. Mom's upstairs sitting room was preserved like a shrine. It would have accommodated Jimmy and me comfortably, but I didn't begrudge Dad that indulgence. He'd been married to Mom for 42 years and was never going to come back from her loss. But it was Jenny who told us we couldn't have her room, not Dad. It wasn't a big house, despite its two stories, and it was fairly crammed with belongings and furnishings. We tucked our gear into corners into nooks, trying to make it disappear. I had the futon in the crumbling basement, bonking my head on the low beams. Jimmy was spreading the cushions from the sofa and sleeping on the living room floor. He'd done a number on his lower back, and the only pain meds we recovered for didn't interact with his Stanovix. But my baby was hurting, and we decided what to do together. We ate our own food, drank our own coffee, didn't want to dip into the carefully regulated house stores. But with no money going to rent or bills, my next royalty deposit would set us, shakily, back on our feet. We could make a new start, yet another in a series of attempts at a stable, responsible life. Not that our lives had been miserable. Jimmy and I had lived. I adored that lovely read of a man like nobody's business. We just didn't have our shit together. Never had. Three days into our stay, Jenny called me out onto the porch. I figured I was about to hear about two more things. Instead, she walked me up and down the driveway. She didn't say anything about the car. Dad didn't drive anymore, and she didn't have a car, so the vehicle wasn't blocking anyone. She walked the two and a half blocks to the grocery store where she did the shopping. She pointed out all the wild foliage overgrowing the driveway and how it would look if it was trimmed back. She didn't tell me to do anything. She didn't even ask. She just made meticulous mention of the matter. Cinderella had her fireplace to sweep. I had my driveway. I rolled up my sleeves and went at it, using the rusty clippers and whatever other implements I could find in the basement. I composted the clippings. I didn't half-ass the job. When I was done, the house looked appreciably better, almost presentable. The old sunlight capture siding might even work now, I fancied. Also, you could get up and down the drive without branches whipping your cheeks or ending up with leaves in your hair. Jenny always came back in the early evening to fix Dad's dinner. I didn't boast about the job I'd done. I didn't wait for her to compliment me on it. I cooked up something noodly and veggie-filled for Jimmy and me. Jenny always ate cold sandwiches and the four of us around the table at the same time hearkened back to no family memories I had. Sorry, Jimmy said, reaching for the salt shaker that was near to my split's plate. He'd taken to just apologizing at random when she was around. Sorry, he said, picking up the pepper. After dinner, Jenny bustled with the slate of evening chores. Everything she did or said was sped up a half second more than it needed to be. On her way out, though, After saying goodnight to dad, she looked squarely at me and said, Thank you for taking care of the drive. There's just so much to do. That made me feel better than I wanted it to make me feel. Jimmy came down to the basement after midnight, and we finally had a chance to screw. The meds were helping his back. I bit my lip to keep from hallelujing for the whole neighborhood to hear. Afterwards, under the outspread sleeping bag, Jimmy's stubble rasped against my earlobe. The futon was too narrow for both of us to sleep on, but wide enough for a post-coital nestling. Dinner was good, he said. I'll cook tomorrow. I could hear what he wanted to say, to ask. Thirteen years of marriage will do that. I waited. He rubbed his bare knee against mine and sighed. You think your split just needs to get laid? I laughed. But even alone with my husband, I didn't laugh loudly if that was all it is, I'd tell you to go bag her. I was actually serious. Jimmy and I didn't do jealousy. No thanks, he said. Maybe if she got her stick adjusted. I knew the joke that was coming, but I set him up for it anyway. Stick? The one up her ass. Again, I laughed. Again, not too loud. She's got me seriously thinking about doing jag again. I wasn't serious about that, though. I'd endured three months of night sweats and a year of therapy patches to break that sticky habit, but it was long ago enough now to be fodder for humor. But even this wasn't what he really wanted to talk about. Go ahead, I said. Go ahead what? That was him being coy. I poked his chest with a finger, then left the fingertip to flick gently back and forth over his nipple. Okay, he said. Why did you get the split? And I told him, I'd gotten the split before I'd ever met Jimmy, when I was just out of college with a job lined up. There were government subsidies for splits back then, big ones. It wasn't going to cost a thing, but I wasn't going to profit any either. I would just have a split when it was done. The nation's population needed shoring up after the anti-birth movements, the feds felt. Census numbers seemed to support that. So I went ahead with it. None of this was answering Jimmy's question. I wasn't going to be around. "'I said in the body-warmed dimness of the low-ceilinged basement. "'I would be working on the coasts. I'd be in Japan. "'My job was going to take me places, and those places were all away from here. "'I wanted to leave Mom and Dad something. "'Not that I'd been such a wonderful child, but I thought they might like the reminder. "'It would also mean another income for the house. "'My split would be job-ready.' I was going to be paying off student loans for a decade unless I struck gold on my first design, which I didn't. My split could help the family. Dad liked the idea. Mom went along with it. Mom's stubborn streak of old-fashionedness had startled me at unexpected moments during my teen years and even my childhood. So that was that. That, I knew, was decidedly not that. Jimmy knew so, too. He gave me a gentle nudge to go on. B-mods weren't a big deal back then, I said, hearing the apologetic exasperation in my voice now. There were ethical guidelines for behavior modification, and what I was asking was well within the limits. I I told the lab guys to make her a responsible me, with no grand aspirations to screw things up for her. I did good in school, academics-wise, but I tore it up in every other way. Bad behavior, bad relationships, stupid sex. Couldn't hold on to a dime of credit. Stayed overnight in a jail cell. Twice. I wanted to leave Mom and Dad the non-fuck-up version of me. So she wouldn't be a game head. So what? She would be around, steady, reliable, upright. I could do the responsible thing by letting her do the responsible things. Jimmy, with his back still not close to 100%, tenderly pulled me over on top of him. And it was better than any words would have been. Dad still gamed. He had a Sony Rotmanson, the first really good Trip d system ever made, which tells you just how old it was, in his bedroom upstairs. We talked gaming and design around the kitchen table when he came down for his lemongrass tea and honey at night, after Jenny was long gone back to her apartment down the street. Dad could speak about cheese screens and feature creep with a dilettante's eagerness to sound pro. The talks were fun, like the old days, like when I'd been 10, 11, and 12 years old and hadn't yet discovered partying. He would tell me ideas he had for games of his own, and it was those, more than any commercial products, that had fired my imagination and got me thinking about designing. He was still talking about some of those same ideas now, which saddened me and maybe unnerved me a little at first. But that was stupid of me. Dad expounded on his familiar apocalypses and Armageddon's He'd conceived an ocean's rising scenario that he wanted to call Earth Atlantis, which probably would have done well, presuming it had actually gotten made several years back, when I was cranking out similar fare for a more receptive market. It was no fun talking about the realities of the current, less wide-open industry, so we stuck to the enjoyable abstract of concepts. Dad, of course, had copies of all the games I'd had a hand in, but I'd never gotten the impression he played them much probably a little too stinging to see his offspring succeed where he had failed. I didn't begrudge him that, same as with him making Mom's sitting room a shrine. Nor did I point out that my success wasn't terribly lucrative, and was certainly nothing resembling what I'd once imagined success would be like in my chosen field. It felt like Dad and I were renewing something that had never quite faded entirely away. Connecting with him made my stay at the house something useful, something almost bearable but the next day the ants showed up. It was Jimmy's shrieking apologies that got me to come running. I'd taken to laying low in the basement for as much of Jenny's 10 a.m. appearances as I could. I'd resigned myself to the fact that she couldn't be avoided at dinner time. I stopped at the top of the stairs. Jimmy was just about on hands and knees, supplicating himself, babbling out an awful stream of contriteness. Jenny stood like a ramrod, somehow taller than me, and glowered severely at my husband. It was the glare of the schoolmarm, the clergyman, the fanatical uptight authoritarian who holds absolute sway. She was destroying Jimmy just by giving him that accusatory look. I raced into the kitchen, bundled him into my arms, and led him downstairs. I had to wipe his nose for him. He was still gibbering. I, I, uh, I keep being afraid she's going to bust into the bathroom and tell me how I'm supposed to take a shit in this house. I rocked him, and I didn't tell him that I'd replaced the toilet roll the other day, only to find that Jenny later flipped it around so that the paper came out the underside, because apparently that was how it was done here. Eventually, I got him to lie down on the narrow futon. His back was better, and he needed to get off the pain meds. Much more to the point, he needed to be back on his Stanovics. But now wasn't the time for that conversation. Up the steps I went again my tread deliberate this time. Jenny didn't ask how Jimmy was. She was clearing every jar, glass, and utensil off one of the kitchen counters, breathing audibly in tense little exhalations, her jawline taut. She didn't look at me. We were right back to the night I'd first arrived. When she went rooting under the sink for cleaning products, I stepped in behind her so that when she stood and turned around, she was facing me. Her wire-tight body language told me she wanted to get past. I didn't move. Quietly, I asked, what did you say to Jimmy? She brandished the Bio-D bottles, sloshing with sharp-smelling fluids. Ants. There are ants here. This house didn't have ants before. You told Jimmy he brought the ants in? I kept my tone carefully checked. Nothing had changed. I still wasn't in a position to say shit to Jenny about anything. I didn't tell your husband a thing. She executed a curt little pivot and stepped past me. I followed her to the counter. I saw the ants. They were coming out of a tiny gap where two sections of the wall paneling didn't quite meet. There were about a dozen of them. They were black, each about the size of a small eyelash. Jimmy and I had once lived in a place that had gotten swarmed by fire ants, one of the super breeds that the climate anarchy was producing jenny said about pouring and spraying and scrubbing the counter like it was the scene of a toxic spill jimmy is sensitive i said but i couldn't go any further with it not without mentioning the stanovics and his condition and i wasn't about to do that jenny stopped and looked at me again those mirroring eyes were ablaze with cold two things she said she started in something about coffee cups and i just turned to go down to the basement But I stopped at the top step when Jenny said, the second thing is about dad. I turned. There was something more on her face than the picayune prissiness and pettiness I'd been seeing since we arrived. An ember of true anger was breathing into life. What you're doing, getting him excited about that gamer stuff again, that's not helping him. He's going to get all worked up, make these grandiose plans, and it's going to crash on him. I've seen him do it over and over since mom died. Afterward, he's depressed as hell. Don't do it. It was a warning, a dire command. I stared back at her a long moment. Now she was the intruder, going where she had no right to be. A responding anger woke in me. At the kitchen doorway, a raspy voice said, Jenny, I think you should leave for now. Dad had probably been napping but Jimmy's hysterics earlier must have disturbed him. We both turned. I wondered about how that looked to him, those twin faces, one showing wear and tear, one strained with tension, rotating toward him at the same time. Funny. I'd never really considered how disorienting it might be for him having both of us here at the same time. In fact, it occurred to me, I had no reason to believe he hadn't just said Jenny instead of Jenny but with half-lidded, pain-filled eyes, Dad picked out who he meant. Jenny left the products on the counter and marched wordlessly out of the house. Jenny didn't come back that evening, but I'd heard Dad on the phone with her in the afternoon, his tone gentle, placating. Jimmy and I would have to get Dad his dinner. For a moment, that sent a panicky vertigo through me. Jenny naturally had made a fastidious science of meal preparations, and I... Couldn't remember how it all went since she would never let us help. Then I took a deep breath and reminded myself she wasn't empress of the world tonight. What can we make you for dinner tonight, Dad? I asked. Jimmy was with me in the kitchen, eager about the whole idea of cooking for him. Dad shrugged and smiled. Whatever you get going, I'll take some of. Anything's fine. Happily, we did up every decent dish we knew how to make. It was all vegetables, but Dad didn't mind that. The three of us gathered at the table about 15 minutes later than the usual mealtime. The universe did not crack asunder. It was a fine dinner. Good eats, good conversation. We talked baseball and politics, treating both as the trivial entertainments that they were. Jimmy ran the dishwasher afterward, grinning like a jackal. When Dad went upstairs for his evening gaming session, I took my husband aside and we had the talk, one we'd had before. Being off meds is, I know, its own rush, but I knew what to say, how to say it, and Jimmy knew how to listen. I took away the pain meds he didn't need anymore and watched him take his dose of Stanovix. It would be about 20 hours before it righted his system again, but he should be okay. Jenny wouldn't be around to aggravate his emotional hypersensitivity. I sat with Dad when he came back down for his honeyed lemongrass tea. I experienced another of those vertigo moments. What if I was the one taking care of him day after day, making his food, doing the laundry, running the household? Panic quivered in me. Then shame grabbed me, stilled me. These weren't the thoughts of a loving daughter. Also, now that I was really considering it, what would be so bad about tending to dad in the house? What do you think? I blinked my way back to the table. Jimmy was watching the streamer in the living room. My brain had recorded what Dad had been saying. Gamer talk, more Earth Atlantis concepts, and I nodded. That sounds good to me, Dad. He regarded me. He was wearing his plush, frayed bathrobe. After a moment of silence, he said, You know, Jenny is right. I do get down. I know I can't really design a game. And if I could, I wouldn't know what to do with it. No, I'm not asking for your insider help. All I'm saying is that I like thinking. I like imagining. All those end-of-the-world ideas, they engage me. He smiled a tired smile. It's something to have in my mind besides how badly I still miss your mother. I reached across the table. I took his hand. A minute or two later, we resumed our bull session about rising ocean levels and the desperate plight of the planet's last survivors. A few minutes before ten the next morning, I went up from the basement to either run interference between Jimmy and Jenny, or else squirrel him away down below. He still had a little while before he would be properly recalibrated. Like my jag habit of long ago, I'd known about Jimmy's chemical eccentricities from the start of our relationship. I didn't find him in the living room. All the sofa cushions were back in place, no doubt in anticipation of Jenny's imminent arrival. Jimmy wasn't in the kitchen. It was a small house. I ascertained he wasn't on the ground floor. I stepped out onto the porch and looked around the cleanly cut drive. Joggers were out. A kid blue with tattoos zipped by on a buzzboard. It wasn't beyond the realm that Jimmy would decide impulsively to go for a walk. He might be okay doing that. He might not but some enigmatic marital instinct told me he wasn't out rambling. A figure came up the sidewalk and turned down the driveway, and I could tell by the precise stride, the short, tight swing of the arms, that nothing would be different today. Things would resume right where she'd left off with them, in full, tense, exacting mode. I thought that this was how I would walk if I was going against a sleety wind, or if, like Jimmy had said, I had a commercial-grade stick up my ass. Or I might have a gate like that if I'd worked a drone job for the past 20 years and taken care of dad for the last four. Jenny came up onto the porch. The front door was open behind me and I knew, with a sisterly instinct that was maybe almost as accurate as my wifely one, that she was going to say something about not leaving that door open. Maybe flies would get in. Maybe, according to her, dad didn't like fresh air this early in the day. But she didn't get to say it to me whatever it was. We both heard the sudden cry from the house's second story. It sounded like strangled surprise, which could mean anything. Seconds later, we were both pounding up the interior stairs. Dad's door stood open, the bedroom empty beyond. The commotion hadn't come from in there. My skin prickled and my guts went cold as we turned toward the sitting room, and I looked in and saw Mom. Not Mom, of course. But that was what jimmy thought he was doing who he thought he needed to be in order to right this damaged household i should have kept a closer eye on him sometimes when his regular meds kick back in it's the worst for him he gets frantically aware of every emotional injury around him and he wants desperately to fix everything dad had cried out in surprise now he was just gaping not knowing what to make of my husband wearing his deceased wife's beige dress Jimmy was puttering about in the room, in amongst Mom's things, doing some kind of freewheeling pantomime of how he imagined she acted on an ordinary day. He noticed me and smiled a maternal smile. I reached out for Dad and had nearly laid a hand on the unraveling sleeve of his bathrobe when I was shouldered sharply aside in the doorway. Dad's startled yelp a minute ago was nothing. Jenny tore into the sitting room with a harpy screech. Luckily, my reflexes were better than they'd been a week ago after our harrowing road trip, and I dove after my split. I tackled her around the backs of her knees, and we went down together with a floor-shaking thud. One of her flailing, suddenly claw-fingered hands caught the front of mom's dress and ripped it from the neckline down. Jimmy, wearing his own clothes underneath, gasped in falsetto. He wasn't breaking character. I heaved myself on top of Jenny, pinning her arms to the threadbare carpet and jamming my knees into her back. That was enough to let me turn and say, Jimmy doesn't mean any harm, dad. Please just take him out of here and stay with him for now. I'll explain it later. Dad closed his gaping mouth. He reached out a much liver spotted hand and took Jimmy's elbow. The gesture was very gentle. Maybe he was thinking of mom. Maybe it was just concern for his beloved son-in-law. When he tugged Jimmy out of the room, he even quietly shut the door behind him. Jenny had stopped shrieking. I let her go, and she flipped herself over like a jungle cat. We both rose to our feet. You bitch, she said to me. I nodded. Yes. You fucker. Yes. Cunt. Her face was flushed. She was breathing rapidly. I know, I said in a measured tone. I left you to do all the responsible things. I'm sorry. How could I apologize for her B-mod, though? Her behavior was all she'd ever known. It would be like apologizing for her being her. Jenny made a violent, angry gesture. Her fingers were still stuck out like claws. There were no guarantees that I could take her in a face to face fight, or even beat her to a draw. It's not that, she snapped. You, you left me with mom. You went and split me from you, even though mom didn't really want you to do that. She was uncomfortable with the whole new strange idea. Can you understand how that was for me? I loved her because her shrug was violent as well. Because I loved her, but she, and then she was dying and then she was gone. I had been there for Mom's passing four years ago. The hospice people had been terrific. Dad had weathered it, employing a sort of minute-by-minute strategy for his own emotional survival. But two weeks later, I'd been off to Seattle, back to work. And Jenny had stayed, living in the same cottage apartment one block away like she'd been doing for years, close at hand, doing everything she could for the family because that was what she was supposed to do. It made sense now why Jenny had tried to attack Jimmy. The sitting room was crammed with stuff. A lot of it was junk, I saw. Much of what is in a shrine often is. I knew half the clutter in the basement could be cleared out without losing anything worthwhile. I looked into her eyes and didn't think this time that I was gazing into a mirror. Jenny was Jenny. I said, if I could live all your hurt for you, I would. "'I can't, though. "'But I owe you, sister. "'I owe you.' "'She didn't burst into tears at the sentimentality. "'She stared back at me. "'But her eyes were curious now, "'not blazingly cold. "'She asked, "'What did you have in mind?' "'When my royalty credits ticked in, "'it was enough to get the car decently serviced. "'I coded the vehicle for Jenny's use.' I wasn't surprised to find she'd accumulated a slew of vacation days from her pixel-pushing telecommute job. She had accepted my proposal, but she kept asking everyone, with a kind of wild-eyed bafflement, where she should go. Anywhere you want was pretty much what all three of us said to her. I walked her out to the driveway when she was ready to leave. She'd meant to go at noon, but here evening was coming on jimmy still feeling horrible about what he'd done in mom's room even though nobody was holding it against him was inside the house biting the bullet and frying up dad's steak even out here i could barely stand the smell of the searing meat jenny had packed and repacked for her trip she stood looking at the car it was a contained space something she could control but she would be on the move through unfamiliar landscapes i wondered what she would learn then stopped wondering I would just ask her when she got back. She might find the family home changed some. Might find an item or two out of place. I might, one day, convince Dad to give up the sitting room. But I didn't intend to bring up the subject for a good long while yet. In the meantime, Jimmy and I were going to make the basement habitable for a married couple. That meant, in part, making space for a bed we could both sleep in. I should get going. Jenny said. Actually, she'd been saying that most of the afternoon, always finding some plausible reason for delaying. But she was out of excuses. I had finally convinced her I would preserve the house and all its inhabitants while she was gone. Jenny opened the car door, and I said to her back, two things. She stopped and turned slowly. First, have a good trip. Second thing, We are family, you and I. I couldn't make up for how Mom had treated her, but I could tell her this. You always have been. Always going to be, Jenny. It might have been the liquid-like gold of the descending evening light, or maybe it was something on my end. But I thought her eyes glimmered as though with tears before she ducked into the car, snapped shut the door, and drove away. Eric Del Carlo has been compulsively, convulsively, and propulsively writing fiction for the vast majority of his lifetime. His successes include appearances in such world renowned science fiction publications as Analog, Asimov's, and Clark's World. The anthologies he's appeared in are beginning to crowd his bookshelf. His novels range from Sword and Sorcery, like War Torn, written with Robert Aspirin, to urban fantasy, like The Golden Gate Is Empty, written with his father, Vic Del Carlo, to his young adult title, The Vampire Years. He's written podcasts for Earbud Theater, had his novels released as Russian editions, written scads of erotica, and seen his fiction chosen for a year's best anthology. He writes because he doesn't know how to stop, and because he's determined to carve out every last worthy word he can while he still walks this world. Also, he's eager to know you, so contact him via Facebook. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.